Parents Just Don't Understand, a podcast where we talk about children's media, parenting, and the nature of childhood. I'm your co-host, Kurt. Today we'll be talking about kids' game shows. Where did they come from? Where did they go? And just what the heck are they all about? And we're joined this week by one of my favorite podcast hosts and podcast guests and host of what, as far as I know, is the number one game show podcast on the planet, I think, Jordan Haas. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kurt. You know, it is a good podcast about game shows, I suppose. <laughs> yes, and um, honestly, uh, before I started listening to your podcast, which is probably guess about two or three months ago, like it wasn't something that I thought about all that much. But now it's it's kind of brought it back to the forefront of my brain. And it was one of the things that immediately came to mind when we started this podcast of like, oh, yeah, like I used to watch a lot of game shows when I was a kid, and now I I don't watch um, any of them. And some of that might be because we only have streaming services in our home now, and it doesn't seem like game shows are as big a deal on streaming services as they are on like actual network TV. Alrighty, uh, to get straight to the streaming services thing, there's a few game shows on things like Netflix and Hulu. Hulu usually has some of the ABC stuff, so Summer Fun and Games is going on right now, so there's your Holy Molies, your Family Food Fights, Press Your Luck, Card Sharks, Family Feud, $100,000 Pyramid, To Tell the Truth, and Match Game. <laughs> so really no game shows on streaming services is what, is what you're telling me, really not. Uh, no, I'm not. So in Netflix there is Ultimate Beastmaster, Awake the Million Dollar Game. You have nailed it. So so it's interesting you mentioned nailed it, because that'll come up later, because I'm, I'm curious about what does and doesn't constitute a, a game show, in your opinion, but I'll, I'll save that for later. But so to kick things off, since you actually have the the uh, the honor of being one of our our very first non kid having guests, I wanted to ask you about your own childhood, since obviously you are a major game show uh, fan slash expert now. So I'm curious if this was something you were very into as a kid, or if this is a a new development in the uh, the, the Jordan expanded universe. Well, thank you for that. I'm glad there's going to be a biopic about this shortly. <laughs> uh, so so for me, I was always into game shows like this was one of those things where it was, you know, you're I was first of all, it was a single mom. So I was, of course, like a latchkey kid, like like a lot of mm -hmm. parents who have like, OK, the TV is going to be raising you. But it was really my grandma as well. And everyone knows grandma's game shows. That's kind of like an, an old cliche when it comes to the world of game shows. But uh, when I because when I was like a kid, this was like 88, 89. Mm -hmm. And then it's like you're growing into the early 90s and game shows kind of passed away in terms of syndicated television uh, in favor of things like your courtroom shows, your talk shows, your Jerry Springer's. And it, it was kind of like one of those. Where can you find it? And it turns out that a lot of the times game show reruns were on the family channel. So things like the family channel itself, Pat Robertson's thing mm -hmm. had it. Uh, it was also on USA Network in the early 90s. Then, of course, the launch of Game Show Network right in the mid-90s as well. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because um, 
I, I think that even as a kid, I consumed a lot of these game shows that were meant for, for adults. And there's not as much of a distinction for the most part between like a game show that kids can watch and a game show that, that like a kid, I, I'm not even sure like what of the classic game shows wouldn't be kid appropriate. I guess some of the like talk show format ones, like the like Hollywood squares or like dating game style ones could kind of get a little bit saucy at times, but they're still pretty much like family media, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to uh, a lot, because a lot of game shows in the early days, we're going straight into the early, early days. Yeah, let's do that. We're targeted towards the family household because this was a single console television. And, you know, you don't have time. And it's like it used to be just radio shows. So, you know, you had your Superman radio dramas. You had your uh, fun, fun, like soaps in the mid afternoon. And then you had a little bit of like a quiz game leading up to the news. And that was it because televisions were expensive and this is a single and this is a family household. So it's the family television. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times when these game shows were created, they were kind of put as buffers and as marketing vessels for advertisers because this was a new medium. Yeah. And the the advertising thing is like immediately apparent. There's so much advertising to the point that you can't always tell like where the advertising stops and the show begins. It's the all new What's My Line presented by Winston Cigarettes. <laughs> and you're just like, what? What's yeah. going on here? And like they're in the questions, like they're in the setups. They're just like casually mentioned. It's a, it's very different um, than stuff today for the most part. Although there is some there is still some of that that overlap. That I, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit when we get to the, the modern there's, stuff. There's still a lot of product placement in things, but now they're kind of served as prize vessels. Yeah. So. So with the modern television, so it became family television, these game shows, cheap ways to market a lot of stuff, people's Broadway careers, movies coming up, just like it is today. And eventually what would happen is some of these shows would come up with their own children's version mm. uh, of these formats. Uh, for instance, uh, one classic one was called Video Village, which was hosted by Monty Hall before he was Let's Make a Deal Zone. <laughs> before and he was, was he was uh, a well-known name in uh, statistics and game theory. <laughs> he was. And it was just a roll the die and go around the game board. And then they made a Video Village Junior just to like subset that. Uh, and it was played on Saturdays because Saturday mornings, just like in the olden days, the Saturday morning cartoons, there was the kids version. Uh, you had things like, like you said, Hollywood squares, they made a kids version of that called storybook squares. Hmm. And it was instead of like, here's like uh, Paul Lynn, it's, oh, here is a uh, little Bo Peep. And here oh. is, I was assuming it was going to be like, like kid actors and actresses, like child stars. Well, I mean, this was like the turn of the late 60s, early 70s. So you you probably, if anything, could have gotten maybe some of the teen bop mm. people, like the the age of the of almost the Partridges, but so n- n- nearly there. These So these like initial kids game shows as like spinoffs of the adult shows, were any of these kid versions of adult shows originally radio shows that made the jump or were they all like the product of television? Uh, some were, some weren't. Uh, for instance, uh, Quiz Kids is an entirely own kids version of a game show. 
Uh, you told me before the break you were talking. You watched a bit of Quiz Kids. Yes, yeah. So um, I'll do a little. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of intro it a little bit. So so Quiz Kids. I don't know what what year did Quiz Kids actually start? Because the one that I watched was from 1951, but I gathered that the format was pretty well established already by then. Okay, so so the Quiz Kids was a 1940s series. I believe it was like exactly 40, and it was a radio show originally sponsored by Alka Seltzer. Uh, Still sponsored by Alka Seltzer in 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 the fifty one version that I saw. (laughs) Okay, so and that was by the way why there was Speedy Alka Seltzer because there was a kids kind of format. That's the yeah. You want to have something to target kids, but also even though it's a seltzer drink for for stomach problems. So I cut Uh, you off. You were you were starting to go into like where Quiz Kids came from as a concept. Yes. So essentially, uh, the idea was supposed to be, I mean, there's a, there's a various uh, backstories about this, but essentially because it was the 1940s, we are in the crusp of in between World War One and World War Two. There is essentially this need for the radio to be this vessel to basically be secure and also a bit of propaganda for mm-hmm. America. Sorry. So what they created was basically a television show to show, look how smart our kids are. Our kids are so smart. They're smarter than anyone else's kids. So they basically hired five different people with different backgrounds uh, and different nationalities so how diverse we are and how intelligent we are. And this was a radio show, and people would send in questions, and they would answer them, basically. That was the right. way. And so that's – talk. So, so I watched an episode from 1951, and the first thing that struck me about it was I was expecting the kids to be the contestants, but they're really not. At least they weren't in the version that I watched. Really, the contestants, to the extent that there are – people winning or not winning prizes were the people writing in with questions from home. Correct. Uh, it was essentially, if you, if you want to think about it this way, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of beat the geniuses kind of games. So mm-hmm. there's your like win Ben Stein's money, your the chase, your uh, beat the geeks. And these are all super experts in their field of experience and expertise. So the idea is that if you can get one on these geniuses, you win a prize. And uh, in this case, these were all kids. So the idea is supposed to be, oh, it's not that hard. You just got to outsmart a child. How hard can that be? Yeah. So who was like the, the first president of NASA or something? Yeah, the questions are really strange. So so just to kind of give people an idea of the format, you have these it's like f- between five and seven different quiz kids, and they cycle out based on whether they were in the top three or the top four the previous week is what it seems like. And you have a host who I gather was like a celebrity host that, that would rotate in and out. Is that correct? Yes, they all, almost even though everyone always says all oh, these celebrities are the host these days, they're all celebrities, they're all celebrities. What? No, that was always been the case even in the early days. And the one I don't know if it was Joe Kelly as the host or someone else. No, it was her, it was a woman. I I really wish I'd gotten her name, but honestly the sound quality was really bad. So I don't think I could even have heard it. Oh wow. Uh, I must have been a guest host then. Um cuz at one point Milton Berle was the host of Quiz Kids. <laughs> oh man. So, and everyone who knows Milton Berle comedy knows what a concept yeah. there. So, and what's interesting is the questions, I was expecting like Jeopardy style questions, or not, you know, Jeopardy style with answer in the form of a question, but 
but like a question, like a trivia question. And this really, is the longest river in Southeast Asia. But they're really not. A lot of them aren't like that at all. A lot of the ones on what I was watching were these strange, like experiential ones. Like, for instance, they had one where they showed a picture of the painting Whistler's mother and said, OK, quiz kids, someone wants to sell you this painting, but you think it's a fake. Why do you think it's a fake? And they had to correctly identify that Whistler's mother was was reversed. Or there was a whole segment where they showed them a baseball scorecard. And so 1951, uh, these kids knew an astonishing amount about baseball. Like they knew like everything about it. Like they seemed to know more about baseball than uh, baseball announcers know now. And they were like, what's wrong or what's off about this baseball score sheet? And there's all sorts of these weird like borderline interactive prop-based puzzles, which really threw me for a loop because I was not expecting that. <laughs> well, at the time, because remember, this is Americana, so this is 1951, so we are in the post-World War II, we're creating the suburban home era of, of game mm-hmm. shows. And as game shows would always be a part of, of Americana in terms of the world of television, uh, this was supposed to be in the sense of... Uh, Baseball, because you got to think baseball, uh, car, household, ice cream truck, milkman, paperboy, evening TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times the, the thing is, I think they had to study for some of these questions. And it's not that it's rigged, quote unquote, because that became a big issue. It was more of a heads up. We need someone who knows astronomy in mm-hmm. this course. And... So that was a specific question I had, because at one of the very first things they did in the show was emphasize that the the quiz kids had not seen any of the questions beforehand, that it was all totally honest, and it suddenly, it was almost like a disclaimer at the, the beginning of the show. Were there, like, kids' game show scandals? I know there were big, big regular game show scandals did that overlap with like the kids game shows at all it was just an over it was just an overlap it's supposed to be a disclaimer because of the quiz show scandals that existed with the age of 21 and dotto when people were fed the answers ahead of time gotcha. so they were doing that just essentially as a save saving themselves and as a well if this is going to be a question about this which of the kids do we know knows most about that was basically all the producers kind of did in terms of uh, tip the scales in their favor, so to speak, so they don't dish out the prizes. Although everyone does get a prize that their question was read out loud on the quiz kids. Right. And so in the episode that I watched, the the prize for having your question read was a, uh, it was a clock radio um, that could not only be both a clock and a radio, but it could also uh, switch on your coffee maker at the correct time in the morning, which is pretty damn advanced for uh, 1951. Although I'm sure it was just like this incredible fire hazard, like like automatic switch that went off inside <laughs> of it. Um, and then the award for if you could stump the quiz kids was you want a television. Yes, because remember at the time this were very expensive stuff. That would be equivalent about like a 4K television right. to this day. Someone could not. It's like six grand. It's like I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> So I want to tease at a question I had about this, which is, is Quiz Kids even like a kid's game show or is it an adult game show with with kids on it? Because it almost to me felt more like a talk show than a game show where especially the kids that were really performing well 
on this episode. I rem- the one who stands out to me is Joel Kupperman, who I was familiar with beforehand, absolutely dominates. Um, and uh, oh yeah, that's uh, Michael Kupperman's I yeah. father. Yep. Has all the answers is this graphic novel. <laughs> yep, and like he has a really, you can tell that he's good on TV. Like he has a TV personality. And the other uh, two other kids who also felt like they were on a talk show and had a personality. And then you had two or three other kids who just kind of felt like ringers that they had thrown in there, who just kind of awkwardly read like coached lines it sounded like but the ones who were really doing well it really felt more like a talk show than it did a game show i think they were trying to go for that because i mean a lot of because i don't know i have to think off the top of my head here because i think i might be i don't want to sway people in the incorrect direction but this was at a time when there were a lot of let's talk to kids things Mm -hmm. because this was art link letters house party this was the kids say the darnest things era of, of talking to kids you got your bet your life that's coming up too which is also a talk show, but it's also a game show. Uh, so, so when it comes to the quiz kids, it is technically I would a game show. To add answer if it's a kids game show or an adult game show, uh, I think the idea is supposed to be for kids to be aspired by mm-hmm. the kids on the show so they can find their own expertises and subject matters at a young age. But it is an adult game show. Yeah, I have to be honest. If I were, if it's hard to say what I would be like if I if it were nineteen fifty one, but if I were a kid when I was a kid and I was watching something like this, I think I would have just been annoyed at these precocious smart kids who are on TV. You'd be like, "Who's the one who loves baseball?" That's the right. that's my fave. <laughs> right? Like, well, I mean, I mean, I was a nerd. Like, I was a huge nerd when I was a kid. But I always used to get very annoyed at smart kids on TV because I'd be like, I'm, I'm smarter than them. I'm smarter than that kid. Like, I don't think it felt more like a show that was for parents to be like, ooh, these precocious, charming, adorable Moppets who know so much. They're so clever. Why can't my kids be like that? Yeah, pretty much. It's also kind of the, the backfire of this is, well, I saw Copperman. Copperman <laughs> know all the world capitals. My kid can't even figure out how to, how to clean his own room. So, yeah, it's. It's really a strange dynamic, um, and what makes it stranger is that a lot of the trappings of a modern game show are not there. Like, they don't even actually announce the score, at least in the one that I watched. The score wasn't announced until literally the very end of the show. Like, the last thing that they did was they said, okay, Joel Kupperman and these two other kids are going to stay for next week. All the other ones are going home with with a $100 savings bond to save for their education. Um, and like they, they weren't updating the score as they went. It didn't feel like a competition. It just kind of felt like, oh, we're just all having a chat. Um, there was a thing I liked about that though, which is it, it wasn't really like a buzz in thing. It was literally just, they would either call on one of the quiz kids or they would just kind of extemporaneously like raise their hand and be called on. And then they would talk themselves through the answer a lot, which I actually, in terms of what can a kid learn from this, it was interesting to hear them working through some of the stuff. There was one in particular where uh, Joel was doing like math out loud to respond to the question. And I was like, oh, wow, like you actually get much more of a sense of what they're thinking about than you do on Jeopardy, for instance, where they're just like, oh, I hit the buzzer. I say the thing. It's right or wrong. I mean, that does kind of happen in some game shows, uh, especially ones that are the big money talk about shows like Millionaire, where it is the the casting producers do tell you, talk out your answer. Mm -hmm. 
So so for for that kind of case, I think they just kind of coached them into talking out their answers. Uh, also, when you were talking quiz kids and it was more casual chat thing, uh, I think I kind of gave it more of like a, like one of those trivia party kind of things. I, yeah. I wouldn't say like a bar trivia kind of thing, but but it's similar in the nature of the we're just all answering questions. If you're wrong, it's OK. If you're right, it's OK. So I remember in our in our pre-show discussion, you said that kind of when stuff like Quiz Kids went off the air was like mid to late 60s. Is that about right? Yes, the last episode was 56. Okay. And, and then, then they tried to refight it in the 70s in Canada. <laughs> oh. So once Quiz Kids and these other kids shows of the 50s and 60s go off the air, I remember you saying that there was kind of a, a dead spot in the, the kids' uh, game show timeline until what, like the, the mid 80s? Yeah, I would say there was about a line because. Uh, going back to Video Village, like, there's not a lot of kids' game shows, like, that existed from, like, the winding of the 60s all the way to the 80s. Like, you had stuff here and there. Like, like you had, uh, like, like shenanigans, which was Milton Bradley's attempt to sell a board game based off Video Village. <laughs> uh, you had your storybook squares. Uh, but essentially, if they ever had one, it was, like, a kids' week version of a game show. Like, Hard Sharks did a kids' week. And, like... And it's only like a special like week of shows, which I guess is now kind of returning back to its thing because I see that on on Jeopardy. There's a yeah. kids tournament, and there's yeah, now like, a Price Is Right. In Price Is Right, even now there's a kids week. That's very funny. Um, Price Is Right because I feel like part of the part of the proposition of Price Is Right is that is that all adults have this kind of inbuilt sense of value from existing in the adult world where things must be purchased with currency uh and so it's funny to transfer that over to the kids like like i i, I feel a, like sorry go ahead I, I hate to interrupt you but there's a fun story about that so in the original pitch film for when they brought back the price is right as the 70s bob barker the one we all know with dennis jane all that the classic do 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 that mm -hmm. price is right so when they were thinking of bringing it back mark goodson uh was doing the video and he was talking about the concept of pricing games because the original version was this auction-based format of 50, 100, 150, whatever. So now it's just that one bit you come up on stage and play a game. And one of his ideas was to get kids to play for a car for their parents. <laughs> and, he, and he basically said, as the business model, how much do you think this coffee is? How much do you think my my coat is? And then finally, how much do you think my Mercedes Benz is in 1972? That's, and the kid said 150 bucks. That seems like a great way for. I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't know what a Mercedes Benz would cost in 1972. Although in 1972, I I might have about like eight grand. Yeah. So like, <laughs> but it was it's it's one of those things where he was onto something and then they kind of uh, dropped it because maybe you don't want to have a parent scream at their kid. Right. You screwed me out of a car. Yeah. And uh, one, I think one of the interesting things about the kids game shows is that it puts kids in a non-scripted context where they have some degree of agency like they get to compete they get to be the stars and not just play second banana to an adult and i think that's an interesting aspect of just the game show dynamic 
It does. And I, but the thing is, with all of the shows we've explained so far, it's not made for kids. This is not mm. kids as uh, as the target audience, except for maybe like the Saturday morning shows. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's just kind of like a watered down version of the show we've seen with with trivia questions like, uh, what what animal goes moo? And it's just okay. That's good <laughs> if you're like in second grade. Yeah. But if you are ten, eleven, like you are going into the middle school, intermediate school years, it doesn't really help. Uh, which is, I guess, a positive when it came to the world of cable television. That now that there were different channels, there's different audiences to target, and so we are now entering the world of Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. And, and they had, I mean, the idea of targeting kids as like a key demographic and the idea of youth culture was really like a late 70s, early 80s thing that I think Nickelodeon was trying to tap into consciously. I mean, obviously. <laughs> it, it, it is. It was a it's a subculture of it's the kids rule, the kids network, the only kids rule kind of and. I mean, like, when you have the kids' blocks, especially because of the late 70s, when it gets to the world of 80s cartoons, everyone has, like, their favorites, and then they start yelling about He-Man or Ninja Turtles or Transformers or what have you. Mm -hmm. And this was at the world of, okay, so now we can do alternative programming. So now we can do teen talk. We can do uh, teen dance shows. We can do uh, game shows. And we can do... (laughs) They, I was just going to say that they, they also had teen news shows that I definitely want to cover in a future episode because it's such an interesting dynamic. But yeah, so so tell me about the return of the kids game show and kind of, I guess, what we would think of as an actual kids game show, a game show for kids, not just starring kids. So this is a great uh, segue into the world of everyone's. When you think of kids game show, I think at least this point, and if you're an American, I should say, uh, it is the the show called Double Dare. Oh, yeah. Double Dare, the one hosted by Mark Summers, originally filmed in Philadelphia. Heck yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's from he's either from the area. I believe he's from Doylestown, possibly, which is out in in the Philadelphia suburbs. And if I got that wrong, Mark, I I do apologize. But also, Mark, please stop by. (laughs) We want to talk (laughs) about your history with children's broadcasting as well. Uh, So so this the original concept of Double Dare stemmed from True for Dare. Because every kid kind of went to a party, no True for Dare. Who do you like? Or do the dare? And instead of answering questions about themselves, it was trivia questions that were in an age-appropriate world. But it wasn't just because at the time, a lot of the trivia questions for kids were just, you know, what's who goes ba-ba? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is now we're going into the pop culture. Who sang this song? Who stars in this movie? Who is this in addition to what's the state capital of this? And mm-hmm. what's the uh, third president of the United States? Yeah, I distinctly remember there was a question on the episode that I watched to kind of get ready for this, which I believe was from 87. There was specifically a question about Fantasy Island, um, and it was a, it was a question about Tattoo's uh, catchphrase, and it had such an – it placed the show so precisely in – uh, a time period and era, but also like I don't think that I knew much about Fantasy Island 
1987. So I almost feel like some of the pop culture was a little bit dated. Also, one of the kids um, said that his special talent was doing impressions, and he did a, to be honest, really bad Max Headroom impression. Well, what, 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 what? That was that was about yeah. That was about as uh, that was a pretty accurate depiction of of what his impression was. Um, so, so Double Dare was really interesting, um, to watch and kind of, um, go back to the first thing that struck me was that it started in media res. Like it started with a, an activity going on and then Mark would walk out and, and start introducing the show kind of as it wrapped up, which was very strange. And I, I'm not sure if that was the way it always was, or if that was an artifact of me watching it on YouTube and actually missing the intro of the show. Perfect answer. So when the show starts in the various, because I guess it's been a long, you've seen double, you've seen double air. It starts with Mark Summers standing at the center of the double air circle on your mark. And then it shows the left side of the stage where there's two contestants get set. And then the other two, maybe the other team, or maybe the opposite in where they have to throw the ball into the hoop. And then he points go. And then they start the activity. And it's a toss-up challenge. That's and then right. you hear Harvey go, these two teams are wiping up the competition as they try to clean house to win $20 and the right to start round one of the messiest game show around <laughs> Double Dare. <laughs> so I don't think I mentioned this before the show, but I actually used to be a professional Quizzo host um, as a side gig. And so we could probably just do the game show host voice back and forth at each other for the rest of the hour and just That's really absolutely right. You know, it's a great time to be alive here <laughs> watching some game shows. Double Dare is fantastic. So <laughs> tell us some more about Double Dare. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. So you there know were... it's <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the I Double Dare activity was actually because they wanted movement. They wanted action. Mm-hmm. So because if you're going to watch a game show a lot of time it's just people standing at a podium mm-hmm. doing nothing <laughs> answer the question but if you start the show with just here's the crazy ass activity like it, it ends up being like whoa amazing great and, and and mark summers is a truly terrific host in like going back and watching him hosting the original double dare and comparing it to like one of the next shows I'm going to talk about in a little bit is uh, uh, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader with uh, Jeff Foxworthy. And Mark Summers is so clearly like two weight classes above him as a host. Uh, just like masterful hosting. Like I was on, like, honestly, I was blown away about the extent to which he was like controlling the audience and controlling the feel and flow of not just the competition, but like the show itself. I, I'm, I was trying to answer, like, why is that? I can't speak on behalf of Mark, but he worked as an NBC page, and he knew a lot of people in the game show world before getting that gig. And then uh, he also worked as a sidekick as a magician. So he knew a lot oh. about crowd work. So so a lot of his stuff was that. He also did a bit of stand-up comedy on the side. So I think that could have helped of why he was such a great host in terms of Double Dare. Uh, also, fun fact: the uh, the warm up guy for for Double Dare was a guy by the name of Greg Lee, who may maybe you may don't know, but he was the host of Where in the World Is Carmen Sandiego? Oh my gosh! Oh wow! Yeah. Oh my gosh! I didn't even that that show didn't even occur to me, and I wish I wish that it had because that's an amazing 
Oh, man. So there is, though, getting back to watching these shows as a kid, both Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego and Double Dare had this component of I could be those kids. I could be up there. And I think watching so many of these shows made me almost mentally prepare for the eventuality that maybe I will be on a game show. Like, I definitely thought about, like, if I were on the Carmen Sandiego map, if I were on these challenges in in Double Dare or Wild and Crazy Kids, what would I do? Oh, I would be so much better than these suckers that are up there. And it's a very interesting, <laughs> like, you feel like it could be you. It is, but that's the that's the where I come from. That I love game shows so much. It's that aspirational feel that t- those shows represent. You could be a contestant like these people. You can win the Huffy bike. You can win the Nintendo console. You can go through that obstacle course too. And the and other, it, sorry, go ahead. And I, I think the the that's a huge issue with a lot of game shows these days, especially in the world of reality television, because they want to have conflict. They want to mm-hmm. have that yelly, screamy thing. Yeah, uh, the the format in in a show like Double Dare is so much less constrained than in a modern game show. It does still have aspects of that kind of talk show format where you kind of get a little bit of a sense of who these kids are as people, and not just like the role that they've been slotted into on the game show. And, uh, I mean, Nickelodeon did bring back Double Dare recently uh, with Liza Koshy, YouTuber Liza Koshy hmm. as the host. And Mark Summers is back. He basically plays, like, the Harvey role where he just kind of sits there until, like, there's a physical challenge and offers up his, his expertise. He's called the, quote-unquote, mayor of Double Dare. Interesting. Kind of like... Uh... Kind of like the chairman, Iron Chef style. Yes, only instead of eating a bell pepper, <laughs> he, uh, he eats a water balloon filled with slime. <laughs> uh, um, so uh, I, I want to ask you, um, favorite Double Dare obstacle? Oh, no, no, you're going into a real tough one. Okay, so my favorite was the gumdrop. <laughs> so the, the obstacle course, because it was eight challenge, at the end of the show, whoever wins goes through the obstacle course of eight things. They grab a flag, they pass it off. And they win a prize. They get their all eight. They get that trip to space camp or something that's like a trip to Disney World or Disneyland. Mm-hmm. My favorite was uh, the gumdrop because it was just this oversized gumball machine that was really just a ball pit. Mm-hmm. So when they open the door, all the balls start sliding right off stage and the person. And I thought that was so cool. <laughs> yes. I remember there was like the messy slide. I don't know what the correct name of it uh, was. Sunday. Well, there's there's a couple of slide challenges. The one you're probably thinking of is called Sunday Slide because it was with chocolate sauce. Mm. And if they put their feet in the chocolate sauce, then they start slipping and then they just end up losing the show. That's right. Yeah, there uh, there was there were there did seem to be a tendency of these obstacles to go like wildly wrong, um, and it was very unpredictable as a physical challenge like you actually got the sense that these people had had almost no time to prepare either that it was just or it was just super difficult so uh when before they get through the course there is a a challenge person or assistant maybe like robin at this point going through like and pointing out like this is the uh, blue plate special. This is a giant plate of pancakes. There's a flag in there. You can go find it. <laughs> and then they would do it again with Mark Summers standing there. This is the blue plate special. You got to go over here, find it, pass back off, and you win this. It's a KB Toys gift certificate. $200 <laughs> at KB Toys. So was 
I know that there were various iterations of, of Double Dare, even with Mark Summers in a short time period. I know that there was Super Sloppy Double Dare, which I don't because, think that was a spinoff. I think that was just the same show, but upgraded. Uh, so what happened was it was just basically the same two teams of two competing against each other. But what happened was a lot of people, because originally these games were played with like household items. So ping pong balls, a water, not really messy, except for maybe the occasional whipped cream. And what everyone saw was because of that big obstacle course was super messy. And that's the one with all the chocolate and, and mm-hmm. slime and all that. Can we put some of that into the super sloppy into a mega into these obstacle in these uh, physical challenges that they give? So that became that. Then when the super sloppy specials arrived and they spun it off into a fox, it became a family double there where they had the families play. Mm-hmm. And that was families of four. Uh, then that show kind of fizzled out until Double Dare 2000 without Mark Summers and then fizzled out again until now with Liza. So the family Double Dare you mentioned, going back to that, that introduced a really interesting dynamic to me that was one of my favorite things about watching these 90s kids game shows was when the adults would have to compete too. And there was a real dichotomy between adults that seemed initially put upon to be there and adults that seemed immediately into it but by the end of it all of them seemed to be extremely into diving through the giant sundae or or getting covered with slime and as a kid i think it was a really delightful experience to be like oh adults are kind of funny sometimes they're not just like authority figures the, the, okay, so if you just want to play the Jordan home game of Family Double there, always look for the bald dude with the mustache because <laughs> that guy's always up for anything. Because and and if it's a, and then the mom is always the one with the blonde perm. Other than that, you're going to you end up with like dads who really have something better to do, but they kind of agree to this because their kids kept nagging them to go on. And, and, so, and it's always funny because it's like when you hear their occupations because they have to do it like, here's Mike, here's Molly, here's Johnny, and here's Sabrina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Mike, what do you do for a living? I'm a lawyer. Oh. <laughs> but then when it's like the bald guy with the mustache, oh, uh, I just work at a grocery store. Right. I, I bag stuff all the time. <laughs> it really made me wonder what what those adults were thinking in the moment like if it were me i know that i get excited participating in stuff with my kids because i want to help create that sensation of fun for them and kids are so um empathetic and reactive especially to their parents that like if you appear to be having fun doing something the kids will appear to be having fun doing it too and on the flip side uh, if if you seem kind of bummed out or stressed about something, they pick up on that immediately. And it kind of makes me wonder if, like, there were, like, I don't want to say family counseling, but to what extent they helped, like, the adults get into the mindset of the kids' show, or if it was just, like, you're there in the moment, like, being part of a magic show. It just kind of happens. Like, you get, you get wrapped up in it and, you know, pulled away. I, that's always a question even I think of when I think of these shows. I think it just depends on the parent and the way that they handle their kid. Uh, a lot of the kids with their parents, I, I think the parents are just like, especially if the modern double there when they have families. These are people who were like grownups, it, who are grownups now, but they were mm. like 
11, 12 years old today, like when Double Dare in the 80s existed. So a lot of these times it's like their second chance to be a contestant on Double Dare. Uh, and even had like former contestants on Double Dare with their own kids compete last season. It was amazing stuff. So there's there's two other contemporary shows that we don't have time to go into like real depth on, but I, I would I would kick myself if I didn't mention. And one of them is Legends of the Hidden Temple, which I understand was incredibly difficult to compete in. And if anyone hasn't seen it, it's this like Mayan ruin Indiana Jones explorer themed uh obstacle course base game show where you would have to compete these smaller challenges and then the team that did the best would get to go through this this giant like temple set where there were temple guards hiding who would jump out at the kids as they tried to complete these obstacles and i have to say as a kid the temple guards scared the hell out of me oh it did too oh that that was the worst thing especially when it got to the dark forest because oh. that's the trees Oh yeah, those were the, that was the worst. And they would mess with you, like they they would have a temple guard who you would see as the audience. You could see they were there, and the kid would run by, and the temple guard wouldn't jump out. They would just be standing there, like we could have got you, but we didn't. And it's just so rough. And then the thing is, Kirk Fogg is just like, oh, and there's the temple <laughs> guard. Oh, oh, how horrible. And there and, was, there... but it was also a history lesson too. Yes, so yes. You were teaching Ex- kids history. Extremely accurate. Uh, although, I, yeah, it's there was also the um, the what was the name of the giant talk? Was this Olmec? Was the name of Olmec? The gi- Olmec because of because of the uh, the that's the Mayan temple guard Olmec. That's the his Olmec name. Head. Although the the Olmecs and the Mayans were two different uh, cultures. I I actually have a degree in anthropology. Not that I do any anthropology these days. Those were not the same cultures. Come, come on, come on, Nickelodeon. Next, you next you're going to tell me Benjamin Franklin's bifocals can't be hidden in the room of the secret password or the shrine of the silver monkey. That's actually true. <laughs> that that part is completely true. Um, and, you know, uh, Franz Boaz was really puzzled by uh, the silver monkey, uh, an incredibly difficult challenge. Although, all, all, all joking aside, it, apparently it was incredibly difficult because every single team messes up trying to assemble this little three-part monkey statue that as an as an audience member i remember just like throwing my hands up and be like come on come on it's so it's obvious well you know why because they're only told to assemble the monkey but they are not told the monkey has to be facing the opposite direction oh. of where you're seeing it they have to face the camera directions so they're just thinking oh oh <laughs> so you really don't you can't see the monkey face so if it was me and i was a smart kid I would assemble the monkey statue in front of me at the beginning, then turn the entire statue into putting it camera face. Have you ever seen uh, there was a statistical analysis done of the different team performances on uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple? Because one of the unique things about that show was that there was quote unquote consistent teams. I think there were six teams or five teams. Yes. Okay. So you have let's ready for it's time for Jordan's intelligence. You Go have. For it. Red jaguars, blue barracudas, green monkeys, orange iguanas, silver snakes, purple parrots. Yes, and apparently the purple <laughs> parrots almost never won, whereas I, I believe the green monkeys won constantly. It was green monkeys and red jaguars were always it was the the top of red was was the red jaguars, blue barracudas, green monkeys. Green monkeys had the biggest success rate in the temple run, which was the big bonus game. Red jaguars had the most temple game wins, I believe. 
but oh man, it is it is one of those things where it's like, and that's why like one dynamic that kind of makes like a sports event. It's like so mm-hmm. then you start rooting for your own favorite team. So now yes. it doesn't even matter who these kids are. You're like, go Orange Iguanas. Yeah, I I definitely um did when you were a kid. Uh, did you call people a front runner as an insult for like someone whose favorite whose favorite team was whatever team was good that month? Uh, no, I, what I did, however, was I always, I was the, cause I was, when I was like a 12, 13, this is when we were getting into the, you just like it cause it's popular situation yes. and I want to be punk rock, yo. You've never heard of the purple parents. <laughs> <laughs> I liked them back when they were in Brooklyn. <laughs> the Brooklyn parents. So uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned, you mentioned a sporting event, um, and that brings me kind of to the other show that I again I would kick myself for not mentioning, which is Guts, which yes. had probably the best set of any of these Nickelodeon game shows. Where again, it's kind of like Legends of the Hidden Temple. They were smaller um, obstacle course or like sporting competitions, very American Gladiators style. And then at the end, uh, the the kids, I think it was four kids, would compete to climb this thing called the Agro Crag which was like a vertical obstacle course that honestly looked like you could actually possibly get hurt on it. Uh, there were a few times when they, I think there was only one instance of an actual injury on set. But yeah, the idea was with Guts was if we can live sports fantasies. And this was in the peak 90s era of sports becoming a huge trend again. Like this is Michael Jordan in the NBA. This is John Elway in the NFL. Mia Hamm starting her soccer career. Like, all of these things are running. Wayne Gretzky is still dominant in hockey. So a lot of the 90s sports stars were kind of in the limelight. So this gut show was a perfect time for, I wish I could do the big jump like Michael Jordan, or I wish I Mm -hmm. could throw the spiral. And the interesting thing about it was, uh, this is one of the few I guess Legends of the Hidden Temple is like this too, but sometimes nobody would be able to complete the final challenge and just nobody would actually summit, I think. Like the timer would just run out, right? There is no timer on the aggro crag. It really is who's the first to reach the top of the mountain. The problem is though, uh, there is a do not finish after I believe like two to three minutes in the aggro crag. So it's if at first place someone hits the button, then the timer starts ticking. Gotcha. Okay. And, <laughs> and if you won, you got the, to my mind, the coolest prize from any kids' game show, which was a glowing piece of their awesome rock. What the I radical am, rock! The radical rock, uh, just like this green. I, it was almost like a table lamp with like like a plastic crag piece. Okay, so do you want me to do you want me to break your heart and explain yes. what it really was, or? Okay, so first, they not only get that, they also get a gold medal. Second place gets silver, third gets bronze. But the trophy itself is essentially just a neon light. (laughs) Like, it's just one of those neon lights, and it's a green, and it has, like, a zigzag pattern inside it that you can plug in. So it wasn't even actually, like... So did did the thing that did the was the prop that they used actually what it looked like or was it a totally separate thing that they got? It was, it was exactly what it looked like. It's just when they were showing it on television, it was like a battery charged kind of thing. So gotcha. it, 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 I always thought it was like a giant glow stick. Like they just broke a few glow stick pieces and just shoved it into some plastic. Yeah. But no, it's like it's actually like a lamp. I, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought it was literally magical. Like like I thought that it was 
just the coolest object on TV. And in my head, again, back to the you could be these kids, I've desperately wanted to be one of those kids. And that's actually, that's a, so that's an interesting dynamic I should probably bring up about the, the Nickelodeon game shows is they had like Nickelodeon studios that they promoted as a place. And part of the allure always felt like you could go there and compete in these shows. It was. And it's, this was that time when they had their lease at Orlando at Universal Studios. Unfortunately, they no longer do. That's right. the sad story. So it's all out here in Los Angeles or maybe they'll do New York or maybe Atlanta. But for all the game shows that I've seen so far, which is Double Dare, figure it out. Unless it's uh, Paradise Run. Paradise Run is the only one that's filmed in Hawaii. Uh, if you don't know what Hawaii, uh, Paradise Run is, it's basically like the Amazing Race, but placed in basically a Hawaiian resort. And it's just these three kids of two. It's made by the people who made Legends of the Hidden Temple. And it's just they have to go from one place to another place to complete in three different games and then go to the suite and then find their parents. That sounds OK. So it's kind of yeah. So it's kind of like a kid's Amazing Race, sort of. But with an added aspect of you've wandered away from your parents at, at the mall and now you have to find them again. Yeah, pretty much. And it's, <laughs> but they're all like hanging out at like a suite. So they're right. just like drinking a coconut beverage. And that sounds just... awesome. Actually, this sounds like like the best kids game show. Because the parents get to relax. like, And the prize is they get to stay another week at the resort. <laughs> like, it's that's con- the prize. It's kind of like, you know, that when they used to have as the bad prize, the you want a trip to Universal Studios right. Orlando. And you're like, but I'm already here. <laughs> I mean, what's funny, though, is that I, it's, you could really tell that, especially on the kids shows, the the prizes feel like they are for the home audience and not really for the people who are who are there. Uh, in a interview that Mark Summers once gave about Double Dare, because first was like the wasted food. Mm-hmm. And then second was the was the you're glorifying this. He said, uh, even if you do not offer any prizes to these kids, they'll still do it. What what was he accused of glorifying exactly? Uh, wasting food because you're throwing mashed potatoes into a pit and telling people to go into it and you you these are all like expired you can't cancel mark summers for being sloppy that's it's it's his brand that's that's absurd he's super sloppy now if you find his ted talk on youtube possibly but other than that (laughs) (laughs) so he went it was a whole political correctness thing that's what i was referring to oh great yes Uh, Um, yeah it's that that's a topic for another day um so it seems like there was a definitive end to the golden era of nickelodeon game shows and and what what exactly happened there where did they go okay so when we get to around double their 2000 then you end up with orlando with universal uh nickelodeon studios the only game show at the time that was still around was Slime Time Live, which later became Splat. Um, and then they kind of went, we don't need this block. We don't need the animation. Mm-hmm. Everything's live action now. So we are going to keep pushing the the Drake and Joshes, the iCarlys of the world. That this is not really necessary. So a lot of the shows that they would put is either Canadian imports or it would end up just fizzling out until I believe about late 2000s, like 2006, 2007, when they decided to try and do Brain Surge, which was hosted by Jeff Suffin, uh, who was uh, produ- and my family's got guts. They revived that. 
Then they did Figure It Out Revival. They did Webheads. They did, like, we're going through all the Nickelodeon shows. And the modern reboot. Until they did Double Dare. And now, most recently, they did a revival of another game show uh, that you were thinking of talking about. Uh, They did Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader with John Cena. Yes, and yes, that's a beautiful segue. Thank you for doing the segue on someone else's podcast. Um, Yeah, so so as a transition, I wanted to get into the question of where are kids game shows now? Because there were a couple ones that I jotted down that some of them I wasn't even really sure if you could count them as a game show. Like you have the kids uh cooking competitions like there was i think there was master kids... chef junior yep uh kids grilling competition which is on food network kids baking competition on food network uh you have top chef junior on universal kids you have american well that's not a cooking show but american ninja warrior junior <laughs> is also on universal kids so do you uh, do you consider those those cooking shows to be game shows yes uh, the the reason I say it is because it's a competition. It's a talent show. It's basically based on a, a judgment of, of a panel. Gotcha. Kind of like kind of like American Idol. Kind of like whatever. But instead of singing, it's cooking, and it's with kids. Uh, and it's also showcasing their creative ability and their talents as a chef. So hey, make the best dish, make the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> yeah, and I remember there's that one very heartwarming gif where the kid can't get the jar open and runs over to her dad who is able to open the jar. Um, what show was that? Do you, do you know the gift that I'm talking about? I think that one was, I've seen that. I think that was MasterChef Junior. Okay. And uh, it's, th- that's, that's an interesting one because whereas the Nickelodeon shows felt very much, and Nickelodeon explicitly said, letting a kid be a kid, uh, a lot of the modern kids shows seem to play up the idea of what if we have kids do adult things where now we're back on the 60s and 70s oh let's make a kids version of an adult game show exactly that's the it's just like just like how i said there is a storybook squares or video video junior or a kids week of card sharks now these kids are doing the american ninja warrior course or these kids are doing master chef or the, at this point, it would not surprise me if they're going to do Bring the Funny with Kids. Or, or and There is already a voice for kids. There's voice kids right. also. And, but they also have kids on the regular voice, don't they? No, uh, no uh, the age restriction is 16 or older. Oh. What's, so, I, what's the one? There's, there's one of those talent competitions. America's where Got Talent okay. is the one that has kids. Um, gotcha. Because that one was won by a child. Right. And that feels uh, that, unfair because kids are inherently more more adorable than these adults who all seem to be trying very hard, whereas the kids always seem just like, oh, I'm just good at this thing. Aren't aren't I adorable? It's somehow less uh, like fame hunting e when it's a child. And then it's like, oh, I feel good. The feel good story. This kid deserves it. And then you're sitting there <laughs> like. So what's the stand up comedian doing there then? <laughs> or right. this this uh, dance troupe? So there were two specific modern kids shows that I wanted to talk about, and you already mentioned "Are You Smarter Than Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader," which I had a hell of a time finding any clips of online. I believe it's actually on Hulu. I discovered too late, but on YouTube, all that you can find is the Tonight Show version of "Are You Smarter Than a, than okay. a Fifth Grader," and I refuse to watch Jimmy Fallon for any length of time. 
Hi, let me help you out with that one. If you want to watch Harry Smarter than a fifth grader, if you are an Amazon Prime member, it is available the early first three seasons. There we uh, go. Seasons one, season two, season three, uh, available there. That's the Jeff Foxery run. Then they did a rebooted version, seasons four and five. Those are available on Hulu. Uh, and then the Nickelodeon version, which is the new reboot, is only on Nick.com. If you are a uh, subscriber, I don't know if it counts of Sling or not. Mm-hmm. I have not watched Nickelodeon in years and years, so maybe eventually, although it probably will be some some other uh, Hollywood physical star by then. There was also a syndicated version that lasted two seasons of Fifth Grader, and that, I don't know, that kind of just, it, it's hard to find. It's usually like reruns on Game Show Network if they're ever airing it, or Universal Kids. There, were, there was an overseas version, too, I believe, because I kept finding, I think it was an Australian version of it. Okay, so Are You Center Fifth Grader is such a super format that they have made that an international format. It's hosted in Australia by Rove McManus. They made two versions called Are You Smarter Than a 10-Year-Old, one hosted by Dick and Dom, the other one hosted by Noel Edmonds. You had a Canadian version hosted by Colin Mockery. There is an Indian version, and it has this great Bollywood intro. (laughs) (laughs) But so... I, I assume that the name must be different because a lot of those places presumably have a different grading system. Than, okay, so that's that's why it's, are you smarter than a 10-year-old? Yes. And then it follows the same rules. You answer the 10 questions and then the 11th bonus question for the big money. If you fail, you have to say to a camera, I am not smarter than a fifth <laughs> grader. But I but you need to edit this because I am smarter than a fifth grader. I have proven it many times. So what's what's interesting about these shows is they almost feel like an inversion of the quiz kids where these are in theory regular fifth graders not super smart kids and instead of seeing how smart the kids are and going oh those kids are so smart it's instead laughing at the adults and how foolish they appear to be and it's a very strange it almost strikes me as like a cruel format but as a kid watching it i bet it would be really 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 funny even funnier than like some of the 90s ones to watch uh it it does uh because i was at one point a great uh going to study education so so a lot of this stuff that was like are the questions in are you smarter than fifth grader because i was tutoring fifth graders is pretty much in in the curriculum uh, so what is funny to me is, uh, that the curriculum is first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, but what the appeal of the show was, and I believe this is why it works is because in the early episodes, cause I think there's three versions of this cause there are the Foxworthy editions, the syndicated editions, and then the, and then the Cena editions mm-hmm. in the Fox version. I think they intentionally ask these easy questions and the, the idea is supposed to be that you second and third and fourth guess yourself on this. Right. True or false, Abraham Lincoln was the 15th president of the United States. There was one that I saw where they asked how many H's were in the sentence H is the eighth letter of the alphabet, I think. And it's yes. exactly what you described. The guy counted it, got the right answer, and then changed his answer to something wrong and the kid answered about five seconds after the question was given and the guy sat there uh for like 45 seconds going back and forth and what was great this was that this was one of the few youtube clips i was able to find was that they made a big deal of course 
of him being an Ivy League graduate who had a 4.0 average, which I thought was like a really nice, like when, when they do that, you know, you know that they have something cruel in mind for this person. They do. Well, that's the intention. A lot of the casting for fifth grader was in either very intelligent people or people who really need the money but have some prestige in the world. So they're usually like teachers, principals, mm-hmm. Ivy League graduates, rocket scientists, brain surgeons, the things that you consider to be a quote unquote smart person. Uh, but when you're flashing $300,000 in someone's face and you're saying the next question's for half a million bucks, if you get this question wrong, you go back down to 25. And the question is, who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Right. It's like, for any, like, four fifth grader, it's like, I just read that in school. That's, I know who that is. But for someone who hasn't seen that book in maybe 20 years. Right. They're like, ah, is it Steinbeck? Is it <laughs> Baum? L. Baum, I think? That's yeah. His name. <laughs> and then it's just, are you sure? And then you can drop out. When they did the syndicated version, they switched it so it's no longer second-guessing yourself. It's basically going through all the questions. And now with the new John Cena edition of Nickelodeon's Are You Smart in the Fifth Grader, which I would say is a a much faster-paced version and is the one perfect for kids to watch as Mm -hmm. well. Uh, They kind of speed up the questions so it's only like one one question in first and second grade and then two in third and fourth. But when they get to fifth grade, it's just like rapid-fire questions. It's such uh, a yeah. It's such an interesting format um, because coming back to my criticism of Quiz Kids not really being a game show for kids, I do think that this is in a lot of ways a game show for kids, uh, or at least like I mentioned before, it's one that would definitely appeal to kids. As you say, it's fast paced. Um, it, it's going to be questions that they themselves will probably know the answers to. Whereas if you look at Quiz Kids, they were they were questions that uh, were designed for very, very precocious children to be answering. Whereas, as you say, these are very general knowledge questions. And I think as a kid, being able to feel smarter than an adult and also being able to go, oh, I know the answer to that, just like watching Guts or or yes. Double Dare and going, I could do that. There's something really invigorating about being able to say, I could be doing this. I could be smarter than that adult. I could be one of these kids who are just regular kids. Or so they tell us. Was that was that actually the case or were they picking super okay, so, smart kids? So so for, for fifth grader, these were all child actors in the first season. Season two and three, they did a national cast in Colin Fox. I believe now they're back to uh, child actors, but they all have education backgrounds that are uh, I think the LAUSD education with those books and sets in mind. But the, those are actual kids in their actual curriculum. Uh, the the difference is, I think, and this is where I forgot to bring up, I think the, also the appeal for a fifth grader is, you know when you yourself watch a quiz show and you scream out the answer and you're like, I know this, it's this, it's this. For kids, they don't really know much about the pop culture. Or they do not know much about like history or stuff but if you give a kid a second grade question and this adult is stumped on who is like like what country is albert einstein from he's just like uh oh uh uh," the kid's screaming the answer oh come on (laughs) that's the appeal that the kids i think enjoy when they're going to watch this show right it gives that that sense of i know it you don't yeah, it gives this sense of like vicarious accomplishment that you are 
playing along at home, as they say. Um, so I wanted to talk about Kid Nation, but I feel like we don't have the time to talk about it. So maybe sometime I'll be able to invite you back on the show and we can talk about the bizarre social experience, experiment of Kid Nation, where they basically... A kid drank bleach on that show. It's <sighs> It was a bad idea. It yeah. got canceled after one season. Someone picked an arcade cabinet over food for the entire <laughs> team. That's all you need to know. Kids make bad mistakes sometimes. It's, it's just like CBS. If anyone it's, has somehow forgotten what Kid Nation was, it was basically, what if Lord of the Flies, but game show, or but reality show? It was and, a reality show, and then at the end, everyone who survived Kid Nation got like 50 grand or something. <laughs> Literally everyone who survived. <laughs> And there were people who got evicted from the show, like not yeah. like Big Brother style, but like I miss my mom. I want to go back to my bed. This sucks. And uh, apparently, there was a lot of. I, I remember there being a lot of controversy beforehand, which seems great. But then it actually seems like the show itself wasn't very good because I don't believe that the ratings were good either. Like it's not just that it was controversial, but it doesn't seem to have actually been very interesting or successful. Hi, folks. Before we finish this series up, I just want to say CBS does not make good choices when it comes to reality <laughs> television game shows. Their fluke is because they have Survivor and Big Brother in The Amazing Race. Right. <laughs> Thank you. So <laughs> wrapping up this, I wanted to ask, what is going on right now in the world of kids game shows? What do we have to look forward to in the coming months and year? Okay, so they're starting right now American Ninja Warrior Jr. again. Uh, Nickelodeon will probably bring back Double Dare if the ratings for uh, their Hollywood... They already did SpongeBob Week, so coming up is a Halloween week and a Christmas week. If those ratings go well, they'll bring it back for another season. Uh, you're also going to be seeing most likely uh, Don't, Don't on ABC. They just announced that Adam Scott's going to host that show. Ryan Reynolds, executive produces. Uh, Kids Say the Darnest Thing, which isn't necessarily a game show, but it is uh, coming on mm -hmm. ABC later this fall with Tiffany Haddish. Uh, and other than that, like your your usual MasterChef Juniors and... Have has there been any attempt to revive one of the arcade game shows like Nick Arcade or uh, was Starcade the other one that I'm thinking of? Enf Level is the one. Uh, okay, so uh, you're talking yeah Starcade. So uh, at one point, Phil Moore, who was the host of Nick Arcade and is a really sweet guy, like really nice, one of the nicest people you'll ever ever want to talk to. He did a pitch for a revival called Enf Level, mm -hmm. and I think that fell into fruition. Um, other than that, like Starcade, no, uh, Nick Arcade, no, uh, video power, no. <laughs> it's so strange because video games are such a defining aspect of kid culture. I mean, people have, you know, Minecraft toys and clothes and, uh, Fortnite, Fortnite toys and clothes. And I'm really surprised that there hasn't and, been... Yeah. Why hasn't there been an esports game show? Because I feel like, I mean, maybe it's because the audience doesn't watch TV anymore. I don't know. All right. So I've been thinking that answer for years at this point. I think if, like, I've already kind of came up with, like, if you're going to revive any of these shows, what would they be like? So when I was like, okay, if we're doing Nick Arcade, it's VR headsets mm -hmm. as the games instead of just like Sonic the Hedgehog. If it's video power, you're going to have to have like 
going to have it live at a GameStop or something because of the bonus prize. Mm-hmm. It's basically shopping in a mall. Uh, for Starcade, it's going to have to be like a time trial because that's where a lot of games are heading is who can do this the fastest. Mm-hmm. So I think when it comes to esports, I think a lot of people don't want that solely that if they want to see a game competition, they'll just straight up watch the esport itself. They'll watch Evo. They'll watch uh, the, 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 the tournaments. They will watch... Uh, dota tournaments they'll right. watch they'll go to twitch they'll just go to twitch there's always a tournament going on and they'll pick their favorites that's a really good point because i guess there's not really an audience to be gained um by twitch from taking their product and putting it on something that isn't twitch because that's their products and they want you to go to twitch and not watch the twitch game show uh and kids are already on twitch so it's fine unless of course it's like hosted by a social media darling that has like like if like if ninja right was to suddenly do a video game game show there'll be some guy in a suit talking to corporate going well ninja has like 14 million subscribers if we can mm-hmm. get 10 percent of it that's 1.4 million viewers that's a lot of ratings gold for our advertisers so closing thoughts on kids game shows what what do you think they do, do you think that you learned anything as a kid or as an adult from consuming kids game shows um okay well there uh, that would be a huge essay uh, so <laughs> so all i can do is is it like a as a summation is uh kids are very smart and very adaptive and they're well aware of what's going on that even when they give them an adult a kid's version of an adult game show they're well aware and more mature enough to present themselves on the show but you got to remember to keep them as kids and they're going to be as crazy as they want to do and do what they want to do they they just want to have fun with the with these shows so if you're going to do a game show for kids you got to make sure that they are the most happy and this is like the best day of their life. Uh, for a lot of kids, it's just an excuse to be on television. For others, it is the scariest thing ever. <laughs> uh, that you have to make sure that when you're, you're dealing with a kid's game show, uh, that the kids uh, are, are almost on par with adults. If you want them to get excited and if you want them to play a game properly, they're well aware and it's fun to watch them try and come up with their own rules for a game or try to come up with their own physical challenges or try to see what's in their mind of what's a game show. Because I think when you see that, it's not so different than what I normally do on a daily basis. And uh, we're grownups. Well said. You hear that, producers? Take that to heart. Yes, so, hire a child and not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you online? You can find me at Twitter at Jordan Ha. You can check out my podcast game shows, I suppose, at jordanhaas.com slash podcast and wherever any podcasts are available, including most likely this one. Uh, also, just jordanhaas.com, J-O-R-D-A-N-H-A-S-S. Um, other than that, just say hello. I'm all around. Awesome. <laughs> Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us on Parents Just Don't Understand. Have a good one.